I would like to begin this morning uh, by inviting you to recite the creed with me. I'm trusting it is on the uh, screen behind me, and we'll go at the pace of the screen, okay? Let's recite the creed together and confess our faith. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church Universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You might notice that a few of the words are different in this version of the creed. We choose this version because this is the version we teach our kids in catechism class. And so we all want to be on the same page together with them. Some weeks ago, I began preaching about the ways COVID has crushed our routines and practices and how important it is to rebuild them correctly, making sure we get the most important pieces in our lives first. And so far, we've addressed the issues of prayer, of service, and of sharing. And this morning, I want to formally begin the school of worship, the last of the four schools. I saved this for last, not because it is less important than the others. I mean, you could easily make the case that this is the most important of all of them. But in reality, this is the one we probably do better than some of the others. And so it wasn't as urgent to talk about this as it was to talk about prayer, where we don't do as well, or service, where we have more work to do. We already give a lot of attention to worship. And so as we move forward in the school of worship, we're going to talk not just about corporate worship, but private worship as well, both worship and worship together. Literally, worship means to bend the knee, to bow down. Humility is implied. We are approaching one who is greater than we are. We are approaching one who has a claim on our lives. We are approaching one who we affirm is our creator. What did we say? The Father Almighty Maker. He's the one who made us. And therefore, we're approaching one who has great unfathomable power. In fact, we affirm that the one we are approaching has the power of life and death which automatically should imply humility, right? You don't just sashay into the presence of God. We come, what did the old folks say, in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Yeah, there should be a little tremble when we enter his throne room. Worship is also active and visible. In Israel, there were four basic movements, I would say, in worship, four basic acts that Israel uh, practiced. The first was the act of making confession, 
of demonstrating the fear of the Lord. The second was the acts of giving thanks through words or offerings. There's also the act of seeking the presence of God for comfort or direction or for communion with him. And then the act of appearing before the Lord for accountability and witness. I'll spend some time unpacking all four of those actions through this series. Um, But in Israel's day, these actions were expressed through participation in festivals, assemblies, sometimes parades, uh, where they would bring gifts and sacrifices. In lots of different ways, Israel would carry out these particular things. Today, the activities in our worship services include reading scripture, praying, confessing, giving gifts, receiving sacraments, singing, and honoring one another before God. These are the tools that we use to embrace the four movements of worship. The act of making confession, of of demonstrating the fear of the Lord by affirming who he is, and by praising him for his characteristics, is always a part of our worship this action of making confession, of affirming this is who we believe God has revealed himself to be. The act of giving thanks are expressions of gratitude for his gifts and actions directed towards us always is a piece of our worship when we say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. The act of seeking his presence through prayer and meditation Ways we seek comfort and direction, uh, a communion with the Spirit are always a part of our corporate worship and a mainstay of our private worship. And there's the act of appearing before the Lord in order to be accountable, in order to be empowered for service and witness, and to experience His transforming grace. I mean, we recognize the need to show up responsibly before the Lord and be accountable for him because he has a claim in our life. When we break down worship like this, there is the potential, I guess, to feel like, well, that's sort of a regimented kind of formal way uh, to express worship. Just like, it's like an outline from a school lecture or something. And, And it's true that different expressions of worship at different times in different traditions do feel more regimented while other folks worship in ways that are very casual and very informal. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those different expressions of worship, so long as we do it honestly, with humility, and in sincerity. I mean, those, I mean, we need to be sincere, we need to be humble, and open before the Lord as we approach Him week after week in corporate worship, and day by day in private worship. The most important thing is, that we do it. You heard the words last week, and I'll repeat them again from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
last Sunday in that short little meditation, I, I reviewed some of the reasons that we praise God, some of his benefits, if you will. When we think about what God has done to us, we have to remember the amazing sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. We have to remember the calling of the Holy Spirit that woke us up while we were in sin and darkness and even gave us the opportunity to respond to him. We remember the saving grace of God that was extended to us, the ability to respond to the invitation, the salvation that we received along with all the promises of his word standing by the grave of loved ones in recent days. Again and again, I am completely moved by the fact that we get to stand at the grave and say, I in my flesh will see him, I myself and not another. Right? And proclaim the the message of John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives in me and believes in me, even though he dies, will live. These are the promises that come to us. We have the continuing presence and mercy of a God who doesn't zap us every time we fail, but treats us like a heavenly father. We've been given meaningful work to do, purposeful work to do while we live this life on earth and we have this eternal destiny in heaven. These are the universal benefits given to all of God's children. We have been especially blessed. When we consider what God has done, when we consider that he's redeemed us, when we consider his patience and kindness, his continued mercy, when we consider how little we deserve any of his blessings, we should be moved to worship. You know, praise... Praise of God is the affirmation that God is good, that he has been good, that he is presently good, and that we believe he will be, he will be continuing to be good on our behalf. When, when we begin walking with God, I think there's one thing that should be immediately apparent. I mean, based on who he is, And what we are, you know, we used to sing this song that saved a worm like me at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And there was all this controversy of asking folks to sing the phrase for such a worm as I, because like we're not worms. And I think we just missed the hyperbole of the poet, right? The poet's not saying that we are worms. He's saying compared to the majesty of who God is, we're just not all that much. And what do we say from Scripture? He remembers our form. He knows that we're but dust. So when we consider that, we should understand, I think, that based on who he is and who we are, he has the right to make demands on us, right? I mean, think about it. He's the creator. We are his. He ought to be able to tell us what to do because he created us to do those things. Imagine for a second, your boss hiring an employee and telling his new employee, well, now that I've hired you, you can just do whatever you want. If you're in the workforce, you know that's not how it works, right? 
You get a job description, you have tasks, someone checks in to make sure you do your work. If you don't do your work, you get a pink slip. But God, who has given us instructions about how to live in his word, doesn't seem to force us to do anything. He communicates, but he does not order. He does not manipulate. He's gracious and gentle. And hopefully, by enduring the consequences of our poor decisions, we learn at some point in our lives that doing things our own way is a sure recipe for hardship and eventual death. And that if we are the children of God, our lives become significantly different if we choose to obey him rather than to buck him at every opportunity. I mean, I understand we're Americans and we believe that our personal freedom and individual rights are the most important thing on the planet, but the reality is trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And bending the knee, submitting to Christ in worship is all about saying to Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Lord means master, worthy of obedience. Christians obey Jesus. That's your spiritual worship. Isn't that what the beginning of Romans 12 says? Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, because this is your spiritual worship. Worship is the presenting of myself to Christ in obedience. And so he has the right to ask us to obey him and to follow him. And we are also awakened by his spirit and given opportunity to serve. I mean, it was his spirit originally that gave us the invitation to change addresses from darkness into the kingdom of his light. That was the Spirit's work in us, to move us from death to life. And in the same way that God created Israel out of a group of slaves in Egypt, God has taken us from darkness and placed us in his family where we are invited to participate in the mission of the kingdom. And all that God asks now is that we live consistently with what his message is to members of his family. He extended grace to us first. He made something out of nothing. And then he teaches us, shows us how to live. And then he calls us into action. And we respond in gratitude in all the ways that I've articulated, all in response to what he has done That's why scripture says we love him because he first loved us. In every one of these areas, God acts first and then we respond. We may think it's our idea to worship him. It's not. He acted first and we respond. We have the privilege of reacting. And that is, again, why we bend the knee. That is why we worship. We even need his help to do that because we so easily forget. We forget his benefits. We forget what he's done. We get caught up in our current circumstances and we're, 
we think, oh, if I can just get through this next thing, then I'll have time to worship, then I'll have time to pray, then I'll have time to consider. And the reality is, he's already worked on our behalf. He is working on our behalf. His promises to continue to work on our behalf are true and in force. And so we're invited then to bend our knee in worship. The discipline of weekly worship, augmented by the discipline of daily devotion, is specifically designed to keep us from forgetting his benefits. I mean, think about how quickly we forget things. We forget the good things others have done for us. We forget the forgiveness that we've received. We forget about the times that we've been extended mercy. You know, in professional sports, the popular expression today is, at least in baseball, you're only as good as your last start, right? What have you done for me lately? Which means, as a whole society, we quickly forget about all the good anyone's done in the past, and all that matters is, can you meet my present demands? We can't afford to approach God that way. For the best things he will do for us still lie in the future for all of his children. And it is our task to train ourselves to worship for all the reasons that we know are true. I will give you just one little hint this morning. Worship isn't just for God. Although scripture says God delights in our worship, even even inhabits our praise, he doesn't need our worship. You maybe have seen a popular movie or two that carried a theme something like this. Well, the power of the ancient gods is waning these days because no one's worshiping anymore and, and their power is diminished because they don't have followers and adherents and, and so they're becoming ineffective in the world. That is not our God. Our God is completely self-sufficient in himself. He creates us because he loves us. It's his majestic creative act that calls us into being. And he loves us and wants fellowship with us. So he enjoys worship. But don't for a second think he needs it or he relies on it. The people who need it and rely on it are you and me. Because it is in worship that we get connected to the living God. And it is in worship that the transforming grace changes who we are. It's in worship that we are constituted as the people of God for the world again. We need this. And we don't need it just on Sundays. Thank heavens I get to eat meals every day and not just once a week. We need continually to remember his benefits to praise him for his goodness, for his sustaining grace in our lives. This idea that worship is not just for God, for us, really is just another verse in the same old song. God asks us to do the very things that are good for us. Right? Right? We need to ask his help to worship, to rebuild the disciplines of worship, to remember his benefits. We need to seek his assistance in remembering to worship every single day. 
and then with the body every Lord's Day. Because when we worship, when we worship together, we do what is pleasing to God and is best for us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that when we consider worship, we don't have to hesitate for a moment to think about whether you're good or not. We don't have to hesitate for a moment to decide whether you're worthy of worship. We don't have to think for even a moment about whether or not you have blessed us or, or the promises you've made for us. We affirm you are worthy of worship. That splendor and honor and kingly power are yours by right. And so we ask, Lord, help us, enable us to worship you in ways that are pleasing and acceptable to you that you might be glorified, and that the name of Jesus might be lifted high in our lives and in our communities and wherever we find ourselves. This is our prayer, gracious Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And by his Spirit, may you be reminded of all his benefits day after day that together we may accessibly worship the one who gave his life for us. Amen.